You know, we, we've always joked offline about how some flights, you know, they're longer than others. Like, I think the longest flight I've personally taken was maybe from Japan to Florida. Yeah, I want to say it was Japan, uh, Tokyo, Japan to Orlando, Florida. And I think that total time minus layovers probably took about 18 hours or so. 18 hours nonstop. <laughs> that kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, I want to say for me, it was DC to Afghanistan at like 22 hours. Uh, well, I take that back. Japan to Florida, that's not 18 hours. That's like probably way longer, but still. Yeah, right? I was going to uh, say that, that to me because I thought it was like from, from LAX, I thought it was like 16 to 18 just to get to Tokyo from there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So just to get from Japan to the mainland was 18 hours. And then from LAX to, or I think it was San Francisco. Anyway, from California to Florida was probably like another 10 to ten to 13, I want to say. But yeah, I mean, it's long as shit, right? And especially from DC to Afghanistan, that's a pretty long flight. And these planes are equipped to go that far and that long with no mid-air refuel, no nothing. With people, oh, yeah, and I imagine, and you've got in-flight meal snacks, your seat reclines, you've got a restroom you can get up and go use. Yeah, like you know, some some kind of amenity. So like your your eighteen hour plus flight is semi decent, right? You're not losing your mind the whole time, and should you should any kind of emergency happen, you're equipped to do so. And the reason why we bring this up is because we found an article not too long ago which apparently happened back in August <laughs> of this year, where an individual, uh, a ferry flight pilot, flew a Cessna 172 Skyhawk from California to Hawaii. And- yeah, it was an 18-hour flight. And you might be saying, it doesn't take that long. Yeah, but if you're only traveling at roughly 140 miles an hour, yeah, uh, and- that, that does take a while. But... But it didn't even leave from the coast of California. It left from central California in Merced, right in the middle of farm country. Yeah. So and at, at first, when we first saw that article, we're like, Cessnas can fly that far? Right? That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I was like. Because uh, yeah, impossible. Exactly. And for, for most people who are not familiar with a Cessna, it's kind of like one of those planes you see at like a flight school. And more, and then this one in particular is one of the fancier models, like the ones you would have, like, um, like passengers sitting fairly comfortably in. And then this particular model, with just no mods, no nothing, just fresh off the the market line, it has a range of about six hundred nine, six hundred ninety-two, or six hundred eighty-two uh, nautical miles. So about seven hundred plus actual miles. Of flight time the distance from merced california which is where he took this pilot took off from to hawaii in the honolulu airport was about 2521 miles so almost like triple almost quadruple the the distance this plane is typically made to fly Some Amelia Earnhardt craziness, you know what I mean? Like, oh, let me just fly around half the world with uh, a piston-powered engine or a piston-powered aircraft. Like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> well, think about... Okay, so think about that. So it's a Cessna 172 G1000 NXI Skyhawk. All right, so it's a newer model one. But <clears throat> beyond that, I don't know if they're still running Lycomings in these. It doesn't really say in this article either. We could probably look it up in another article if they're running i don't even know if they use continental anymore but if they're running like a lycoming motor what they got in them but think about the how how economic fuel efficient that that engine is at burning uh fuel because again like you said it's a 682 range on normal config this aircraft they pulled the seats and modified the aircraft and put uh long range tanks inside uh, which allowed the aircraft to carry around 200 gallons of fuel. Um, and when it landed, it said it stood about 25 gallon of fuel left. So that's about like my your average pickup trucks uh, fuel tank, you know, full fuel tank. 
That's that's actually pretty good. That was a lot more. I thought they were going to say, yeah, and when it landed, it was like sputtering and ready to come to us, <laughs> you know, yeah, to a stop because it was it was uh, running out of fuel. But no, they said twenty five. You know, twenty five gallon isn't isn't a lot when you're talking an aircraft, but for an eighteen hour flight, that's um, that's pretty wild. That's pretty damn good if you think about it, right? Like you, so you had like room to spare, right? So it wasn't like I hope I make it. They they've had some they could they could dangle around in the flight pattern for a little bit if they absolutely have to. But again, you know, like 18 hours and you're flying around, you might want to come down at some point. And uh, going back to your question, I think for this particular aircraft, it does use a light combing engine. Uh, but then, but again, you know, it's not a big engine. It's probably like 180 horsepower. Six cylinder, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a huge engine, but the fact that it can burn that economically from one end to another and fly 2,500 miles. That's pretty freaking good. <laughs> yeah. And the average altitude was uh, 6,000 feet with a couple of instances of climbing to 10,000 feet. But the flight plan was, was for 6,000 feet. Um, you know, I mean, that's a tribute to the pilot as well. I mean, a pretty, pretty skilled guy being able to monitor the, the mixture. Well, is, is it a mixture anymore now when it's a, I'm, I, God, it's been so long since I've been in a small aircraft. I guess do they even have mixture mixture knobs anymore for enriching the fuel? Or is that all auto calculated with the computer? And and the efficiency comes now in the form of technology rather than uh, a pilot's uh, skilled hand at a mixture knob. Right. I doesn't say, but given that this is a newer model, it might be one of those regulated fuel injected ones. Um, I know for this one in particular, the light combing engine is is fuel injected, but that's not saying much. Uh, so it may very well be automated. But even so, like um, the planning and all that that went into this and then just the forethought that, hey, we might want to account for all this, that had to go into effect and then execute it perfectly or just good enough to make it there. And uh, this flight wasn't just made willy nilly. Like he's like, you know, what? I'm just going to grab my plane and fly to Hawaii. Fuck yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, airline prices to hell with that you know right so for this particular flight uh based off of this article they him and the, the person that was at the other the, the destination they've planned this out they've uh they've accounted for weather they've accounted for certain types of emergencies i mean granted there's only so much you can do um uh, they've mo- they made sure the aircraft have ample fuel maximum power to weight and then it also states here that as far as the weather was concerned, they had to wait for months to execute the flight because the weather wasn't ideal enough for them to make this kind of hop. Yeah. yeah. Well, think about how lucky they are to the, even to not run into a storm uh, 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 pops up randomly over the Pacific during that entire 18-hour voyage, you know? Right. Yes. And this is stuff like long haulers deal with all the time. But then again, you know, it's a, much larger aircraft, you know, we're say, talking like what 767s and higher. They 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 account for weather, yes, but should they have to fly through it, they can more or less survive it with little to no incident. Unless like it's one of those insane storms where they have to climb to fifty thousand plus feet, which rare if ever happens. I mean, at this point you're not overriding you're not flying over the storm. You kinda have to just power through it and hope not in Cessna, no you're gonna stay above the waves and below <laughs> the clouds and uh hope for the best here um right. <laughs> yeah it's just but what's the contingency plan right so okay we're building this flight plan okay well, what's your contingency should you run into emergency well i aim to belly it up in the uh, i aim to go wings up in the water and uh and hope a rescue boat arrives sooner than later yeah <laughs> You know, like, because at some point you go, okay, I got this 200 gallon of fuel, but what's the, what's the turn back point? Okay. You say, okay, I'm going across the Pacific to Hawaii. Um, but once I reach our mark, this or fuel load that, uh, this is my no, no kidding turnaround point to make it back to mainland should something go wrong. Otherwise you'll be on that point. You go, okay, well, it's do or die at this point. It's a Hawaii or bust, you know, because you're going to say, well, I don't have enough fuel to make it back to mainland. But if I run into issues 
from our hour mark 10 to Hawaii, uh, it's either success or we're in the water. Yes. You know? And, and uh, I wonder too, and this may be a question for a lot of ferry pilots for doing long haulers like this. Like, is there a point where you're squawking to like all emergency chat, you know, just like have uh, people in the area know like, Hey, like I'm on this long haul flight. Like, just be aware if something happens, you know what I mean? I mean, granted there's, there's emergency channels in the event, something does happen and there's always people monitoring this, but at the same time, like once you hit that point of no return or make it or make it or break it point, like, uh, are you kind of like erring on the side of caution? Like, Hey, just FYI, this may, you know, we're, I'm I'm at the point of no return now, so just be on the lookout in case some shit happens. I don't know. That might be something that uh, I'm overanalyzing, and it may not even be an issue. But at the same time, like we've seen multiple times where accidents happen, where it would have been nice to know or have someone on call and just just on standby. Especially like when it comes to like uh like test flights, we've seen it happen all the time. Like everyone's at the ready, or at least. Uh, people have an idea that hey, this might be happening, so just be ready to gear up in the next twenty minutes if need be. And then uh, yeah, going on with this article, this the the ferry pilot here. He's been a ferry pilot since nineteen eighty eight, so thirty plus years, and he's been doing things like this where he's making these long hops. And this was probably the first uh, aircraft of its type, or at least the first model of its type to make this haul for him personally. And why would you do a flight like this? Like, obvi- obviously, like it's not going to be someone who's just going to say, you know what, f these flight fare prices, as MBP said. Yeah, or or I'm wealthy, but I'm not private jet wealthy. So <laughs> right. this is what I'm. This is how I flex my 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 dollar muscle here. You know, no. right. So this was actually on purpose. Like they, uh, the the point of this flight was to ferry it from the California to a flight school in Hawaii. And they've done multiple trips like this with different style planes, apparently. And they, the people who did the flight and the people who received it, they were actually semi in shock that people actually were taking interest in this and why it's being such a big deal. Personally, I think it was a big deal because we didn't even know Cessna's were even remotely capable of flying 2,500 <laughs> no miles. No idea. Even with a modified fuel tank, yeah, I would have still wouldn't have thought that would that would have been the range, you know? Right. We would have said like, oh, 700 nautical miles, 1,000 max, not 2,500 miles. <laughs> and that, that was probably like the biggest shock for us. But at the same time, they've made it, they've been making it. And then there's also talks that they're going to be doing other long haul fights further down the Pacific. And like, it, it's not a world record breaking thing. It's just literally a bunch of guys just doing their job and ferrying yeah, planes. Literally, literally just doing a job. Just ferrying planes from one end to the other. Now, the planes that we've had seen done were usually like private jets, like corporate type, you know, like uh, cita- um, not citations. Um, well, what yeah, were you, you got your citation, citation latitudes. Oh, okay, right. Uh, right. Which were your sovereigns. I think they have the range. Your XL, XLSs, and Encores would not um, believe your Citation 10 would. Uh, definitely your Global 5 Bombardier products, you know, your Global 5, 6, uh, 7, 8,000. Your Bombardier Challenger 300, I believe, can. And the Challenger 604 definitely can. Uh, and then Gulfstream, I believe anything from uh, a, a 4 or 450 and up can make that journey as well. Right. And the, these ones are jet powered. They've got, they at least got the oomph to do it versus like a Cessna, which cruises max speed at like maybe a hundred miles an hour. Okay. That, uh, that's exaggerated. It probably goes a, l- a little bit faster than that, but still like that's a long haul flight for a piston powered pro- propeller aircraft. 18 hours. Come on now. Like I said, like we've, done flights like that but it went from one end of the world to the next versus this one it's just going to the next state <laughs> i mean granted it's hawaii but still you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and, and as six said it went to a, a a flight school out in hawaii is where why this plane was delivered out there and it says in less than 24 hours after the plane's arrival it was in the air with students aboard 
doing training. So, so, so kudos to the maintainers in Hawaii for, uh, for stripping out the, uh, the, uh, extended range fuel tanks and re outfitting with, uh, seats and, and, and getting it ready for, uh, the students. That's a pretty quick turnaround time. Yes. That's another, that's, that's another good point too. Cause that plane had to be spotless from the point of departure to the point of arrival. Like, of course, maybe they're getting better with these, uh, barn builds as I call them. It's a small, small aircraft. I mean, if they were able to take out, extended range fuel tanks and re-outfit seats in, in a short amount of time. Uh, they, they must be getting a little bit better in their designs. And I mean, oh, you would hope so. These Cessna 172s have been around since what, late sixties, early seventies or something like that. Um, yeah. so they must be getting better with their, their mods and quick disconnect of things and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, it's still impressive that right after it lands less than, less than 24 hours, it's got students aboard training. Right. But MVP, like, isn't there a crew rest thing between uh, from one flight to the next? Ah, yes. Well, I, yeah, you would think, right? And every I, I, I again talk about the flights that we did early in the episode where DC to uh, uh, Afghan, uh, we had two crews on board. And they would swap out every few hours um, just just to maintain the rest period. Right. Now, for on a regular flight, uh, that's considered a work day. Like this, you're on duty, you're flying for stuff like that. Yes, you will need crew rest. Uh, but for general aviation um, pilots or gen- general aviation flights, not ne- not necessarily true. Uh, under 14 CFR section 61.195 and 14 CFR part 91 subpart K. This is FAA for stuff for all of our uh, outside U.S. people. Um, under these two rules, like general aviation operations do are not subject to a rest period unless they're a flight unless they're doing flight instructions. So this ferry flight totally in the green for them to do. I mean, that's a really long haul, but you're but you're not required to do a crew rest unless it's like an instruction flight. But at that point, like it's it's gonna build if I was a student and they say, Hey, your flight's gonna be 18 hours, like Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And I find that hard. Like it, it's so hard for me. I mean, it is it's hard and not hard. Actually, right. We've all talked about this before. Like there are crew risks for maintainers, but eh, not really. Yeah. But I do find it hard to believe that there is, isn't some sort of stipulation, even in general aviation for a single pilot, uh, aircraft where it's, you're not limited to eight to 10 hours something like a trucker, you know, just fatigue and all on and whatever else. Um, I am surprised that that there isn't a rule in place for that, but that just says to me that there haven't been any real tragic incidents to warrant a rule. Right. And I hope that continues on. I hope, I hope that there, that, that a rule never has to be put in place because there's never a tragic incident uh, and, and, and everybody's safe. But, I gotta believe at some point, just just statistics alone would say that somebody's gonna eat shit in the middle of the ocean, right? In a, in a small plane, you know, uh, right. for for falling asleep, for I don't know, having a heart attack, having like okay, let's say okay, you know, for pilots they have to get their their airman medical certificate and all that stuff, but let's face it, this gentleman flying, he's been flying since 1988. Um, that's nearly as long as I've been alive. So he's not a, he's not a spring chicken by any means. He might be late forties, early, early fifties, but, um, you know, what's to say he, he, is there a limiting factor medical wise where you say, okay, yeah, if you got, you've got, you know, some, some heart problems and you got a pacemaker and blah, 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 but you can still pass your your, your airman's medical certificate. But, you know, most people were flying a Cessna 172 for four and five hours on, on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday morning, not 18 hours across the Pacific. So I wonder what medical regs, you know, are applicable. Or if you have, okay, you're going to do that long of a flight, then you have to have a, a doctor physical um, 
done within so many hours, days prior to your, you know, prior to your, your flight. Right. Uh, think of it like a pre-flight, right? Good for 72 hours. Well, same thing with your airman medical surgery. Oh, you're going to go for 18 hours. Okay. Well, you got to have be checked out within the, within 72 hours prior to that. Right. I mean, I, I, I would assume so. That's just because that's, again, like you said, all those uh, limiting factors that could play into effect. And then also he's the sole person in that plane. So there's no backup. There's no redundancy. Like The redundancy is you. So <laughs> if you fall asleep or if you have any issues, then that's, the, that's a wrap. Like, never mind the point of no return. Never mind the range. It, it's all down to you. And usually for most flights of any haul over, let's say, eight hours, there would usually be a second person or a number of people in the flight to take over should something happen. But in this case, he was this pilot was the sole person in this plane with extended fuel tanks, uh, maximum power to weight, flight plans and all like he's the only person in this plane, which I guess it's a good thing because, you know, it, it, uh, it really... It, it sets the precedent, you know, like they factor in all the weight and power and stuff like that. And should any issues happen, that person's able to take over and minimize injuries. But at the same time, you know what I mean? That could also lead to very drastic effects. Uh, example is the Red Bull plane stunt where these individuals planned everything. They even modified and engineered stuff to ensure a safe operation. And they still crashed. Granted, no one got hurt, but the, the plane still wrecked. So, I mean, this is a lot, whole lot different than just putting a plane on a nosedive. It's just going straight and level minus a couple of it, uh, ascends and descends for weather purposes, but still. Like, yeah, and I'm sure on a new model Cessna, there's probably a semi-decent autopilot system, I would assume. Right. Um, you know, so, okay, hey, I'm up at altitude and I'm, I'm three hours over water and I got autopilot on and I'm just kind of cruising and chilling, but I almost think it'd be like worse. Cause you're like, well, what, what do I do with my time? I got nobody here to talk to. So at least you got somebody there. You can, you can conversations and, and whatever else you can keep, keep conversations rolling. You can, you know, mm-hmm. something to buy the time. I wonder, you know, does he pull out a, an iPad, a cell phone, something. And is he, you know, I'd be curious, like, hey, did did you watch a movie or two while you were flying across there? Like, yeah, you're, you're just looking at it on your iPad, but you're monitoring kind of everything. Were you listening to a podcast? Were you listening to music? Did you know, like, what were you really doing? Or, or were you literally hands on the yoke, feet on the pedals for the entire 18 hours? Because I can see either way, right? Hey, I've got autopilot. I'm going to stretch out for a second. Or I go, hey, the only way I'm going to stay attentive and alert is hands-on feeling feeling the aircraft. I don't know. I'd be curious to know more, uh, hear more about the guy's flight time and what he did to stay alert and active and, and attentive to everything going on. Because with nobody there in autopilot, I can just be like, well, I'm just going to close my eyes for five minutes. It'll be fine. You know, I'll set a, I'll set a timer or something. Uh, and then next thing you know, it's you know you're yeah. you're skipping the waves right <laughs> this this reminds me of a, of a uh, disney cartoon a terrible uh, comparison but kind of sort of the same where uh the cartoon was tailspin i'm not sure if anyone ever seen or remembers that cartoon or if there's any people alive that remembers that cartoon but uh tailspin it was um uh, Baloo the pilot or Baloo the bear from jungle book he was a pilot and he's flying along and he's doing like this long haul race and he he starts to doze off, right? Like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to just kind of close my eyes for like two minutes, right? And then two minutes turns into four hours. And next thing you know, he overshot his checkpoint by like miles. <laughs> so, he, and then he like ends up running out of fuel and has to like do an emergency land on, on snow and shit. So that terrible example, but at the same time, like it just shows like how you can just slowly nod off thinking, oh, I'm just going to shut my eyes for a few seconds. And then next thing you know, it turns into a couple hours and you miss a checkpoint or you miss a vital uh, like a routine check uh, mark to make, to ensure like everything's still good to go. And then, yeah, you miss a call in, you know, a radio check, call in, 
on whatever frequencies. Yep. Um, I don't know. I think about just sitting in my desk in my office every day and I get tired. So imagine just sitting there in a plane at 6,000 feet and, and it's well beyond an eight hour work day. <laughs> yes. You know, like <laughs> I just, how did you do it, man? Like, and what's your, and what was your pre-routine, right? So when he landed, he was met in the traditional Hawaiian way. They put a lay over the propeller and a lay around his neck. And the first thing he said, as soon as he opened the door to the aircraft was, yes, I have to use the restroom. And understandably <laughs> so, but what was your, what was your, I assume he probably had some bottles inside the aircraft, but if he didn't even crazier, what kind of a camel human are you? <laughs> um, but, but what, what was your pregame? Did you do a entire body detox and void uh, in preparation of this? Uh, so you had like nothing in your system so you could eat and drink for a while and, and nothing would happen. Did you eat MREs? for the few days prior to leaving. So you were stuffed up. <laughs> I was about um, to say that, <laughs> you know, did you, what did you take along the journey with you? Did, you know, cause coffee's a diuretic. So, all right, you had iced coffee, but were you afraid to drink it? Cause it have to make you use the restroom. Did you only take water? What did you, what were your snacks or, or were your everything was everything planned out to like, specific energy hits at certain times and also to make sure you wouldn't have to use the restroom. Like, or was it maybe I'm way over analyzing this? And he was like, uh, no, I had a steak dinner with a glass of whiskey the night before I smoked a fat Winston Churchill cigar. Uh, and then I got up in the morning and jumped in the plane and took off. <laughs> right. and, and like, and you, and you didn't have an emergency, uh, restroom situation going on. Did you open the door and hang your ass out the window and, and, <laughs> and carpet bomb some poor whales out there? You know, like what right. happened? You know, I just like, what was your, what was the planning pregame beyond just the flight plan itself? What did you as a human do to ensure success? Because, you know, did you wear human diapers? I don't know what I would have done. You know, or did you wear <laughs> adult diapers? Did you put a towel on the seat? Did you? <laughs> Did you, do you bring up a, a bucket, you know, like yep. a small bucket and you say, okay, I, I sit this on the seat and then I sit on the bucket. I'm in autopilot. I go, uh, there, I line the bucket with a bag and I a biodegradable bag and I use that and I huck it out the window, uh, <laughs> or it just sits in the back and I smell myself for the next however many hours until I land. And then the student pilots that get in the next day uh, smell me because the scent has permeated everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sorry, everybody, for getting gross on you, but this is like this is the stuff that I think about. Like we beyond just just the actual flight itself. Like there's so much that goes into it. We need answers, damn it. You know, you know what? We're probably overthinking this. We, he probably did have adult diapers as a as an initial backup. And then the seat itself, probably like, yeah, he cut a hole in the bottom and it has like a little kind of like uh, the the non-flushing toilets in the RV. You know what I'm talking about? Like a, like a diaper yeah, pill a thing. Composting, yeah, the compost toilets or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or like did a, you take, like I said, did you take biodegradable bags? You line <laughs> that into a bucket, you go in that, you tie a knot. And you and you sent it flying out the window, bombs away. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Just like you just imagine, man. Like uh, he, you think you're over water, but there's like some random island somewhere that's inhabited by I don't know, like five people. And then you 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 carpet bomb this thing out the door again, just for sanitation reasons. And then here's the unlucky person, like it just drops by his feet. I'm like, the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, or, or or you're some poor. Navy scrub on the deck of a carrier or whatever, and you're cleaning it, you're vacuuming out the pad eyes because you got in trouble, and all of a sudden you just get this block <laughs> right on the deck next to you. And you talk about having a shit day, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. it's, it's just, I don't you know, what if? I don't know. I don't know. And, and maybe, maybe none of that happened. I, I just, like, I, I, I need answers. I, I need to know what you did as a human to prepare for this. Cause I'm trying to think about all the things that I would do if it was me making this flight. And, um, 
and I need to know. These right. are these are the questions inquiring minds want to know. Yes. I mean, because I'm thinking myself just now, as you're mentioning this, it's like, let's see, the longest drive I've done in traffic was probably like 10 hours, 10, 12 hours. And we stopped maybe every six. And yeah, about five to six, we stopped. And that was mainly because like, fuck, like traffic sucks. Everyone's hungry. People want to get out and stretch their legs and stuff like that. And they, so that that's just a 10 hour drive with decent traffic. Like imagine like just 18 hours you're cruising along. You don't have to start and stop. You only have to uh, ga- look at your gauges every so many minutes or whatever. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious too. Like how, what did you do? And there's no pity pack or there's no um, like um, stuff that's readily available for you to just get up and go. And matter of fact, I don't think there's any room for you to get up and go. Other than, like I said, like you cut a hole in the seat and then there's your fucking toilet. Or you somehow like kind of sh- do like this weird shimmy effect where like you're trying to scooch the bag up you without really leaving the seat and then try to like move it away from you as you're going. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is disgusting, but again, Dude, take a mo- uh, um, a modium, right? Um, yes. <laughs> I've done that before, before a long flight, and I know I was going to be on a long flight. Then I've taken. Uh, emodium just to be on the safe side. Yes. Or like um, before a long hiking trip, you know, you say, man, I, I don't, I'd hate to get out here and have uh, gastro uh, issues, yes. intestinal issues, and uh, take emodium just to sort of block things up. Yes. Um, and then you mentioned it too with the MREs. Like, uh, if any of anyone's ever not tried MREs, like the military field rations, those things will plug you up and they'll plug you up good. Like if you ate that for maybe three meals for two days, you probably won't shit for the next five. <laughs> it, right. It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll drain you up or it'll suck everything right up and you will probably have dehydration if you don't pound water in the next, like consistently. Um, I want to say like, the most comfortable long haul flight that I've been was probably on a C-17 with no seats. Like there's no troop seats. There's no passenger seats. It's just Sleeping a wide- on pallets? Yes. <laughs> yep. it, it's just a wide open cargo bay. There's maybe the regular troop seats on the side of each or on, on each side of the fuselage. And it's just a big open space with maybe pallets and some other stuff. It's a pretty decent size. Probably like, I don't know, the size of a, a basketball court. Roughly, I I can't really tell because it was it was just that spacious. Like everyone, it's a, huge, ha- it's a huge aircraft. Like everyone's all just spread out. They got little hammocks that kind of go between the pallets or or whatever have you, and they're just fucking off doing their bet, doing what they want to do for the next five ten hours, and then the plane's getting ready to land. You guys all buckle up. You put your stuff away. You land and you move on with your life. It's almost like not even being in the plane. Like think. I think like uh, ships have more uh, like jet rock or jet lag than than this and this aircraft, or I would, I would actually be boat rock. Stupid. <laughs> I think like ships rock more than this plane did. That's how comfortable the flight was. And then here we go with this uh, really small, maybe two person, three, four person max aircraft, which it's now one and a half persons because most of the stuff is made with fuel and just hauling it for 2,500 miles. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. It's, it's crazy. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I would want to do it. Like, Hey man, like if you came to me six and said, Hey man, um, I got this, uh, job and I'm going to be long haul hauling, uh, uh, Cessna 172s from mainland to Hawaii. You want to ride along? Um, I no. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I I say no. I mean, it sounds interesting and fun, but all these things that we've just talked about will come up in our conversation. Okay, well, what are we doing? What's this? My biggest thing would be: What's the contingency? Do we have a raft on board? Do we have whatever? You know, what's our 
with our with our emergency uh, locator. You know, is that working? Is that? There had to be a lot of checks that went into this aircraft uh, prior to its um, release for flight. Right. <laughs> you know, I, did they? It's a new aircraft, so but but did it have a bunch of training hours on it, or was it literally delivered from? Um. Oh, what the hell is it over there? Uh, where Cessna's at? And is it Wichita? I think it's Wichita, where Cessna's headquartered out of. You know, was it delivered straight to Merced and then Merced over, or did it have hours on it? But yeah. did they? Did you have to do a full <clears throat> uh, um, pre-flight on it? Did you, did you have to go through the Alpedo static system. Did you go through all of your, you obviously checked all your lights. How about your, your nav system? Like what, what all went into preparing a small plane like this for such a journey? I know for your, for like your private jets and your, your big, big uh, people haulers, you know, they quick spot checks on the ramp or whatever else and you're on your way. But this is a whole new whole new uh, venture. Did you change, have to change the oil? prior to take off, you know, just to ensure you had clean, fresh oil. Did you replace all your filters, fuel filters, fuel samples prior to take off? Um, I don't know. Be yeah. curious to know uh, whoever worked on it, what, what all was accomplished prior to takeoff. Right. Yeah. I would, I'm having the exact same questions. Uh, what was the pregame? Like, what did you do? What was, is there stuff that you took as precaution? And especially like, cause you had to wait for months for the weather to clear up, like, uh, were you constantly checking or you just kind of venture like, okay, this kind of weather pattern will stay the same for a couple months. And then, uh, what was your contingency should have the weather have turned bad? Right. Well, okay. And it waited for months, but we all know an aircraft sitting on the ground doesn't make money. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we know we're not going to make it in the next week due to weather. So we're going to use it local for training. Right. And then that's adding hours and maintenance time or whatever to it. Or was it, hey, we just have to keep it constantly ready. So this guy, so this pilot, you know, we call him up and say, hey, uh, the window's looking good. You need to be off the ground within two hours or three hours or whatever. Right. Yes. And you imagine, imagine if that was the case, right? The, hey, you need to get go, get ready to go in the next five to six hours. It's like, oh, shit, let me just take all my stuff. Let me get my modium prep. Let me get all my all my gear ready. So when I make that long haul flight, you know, all I got to do is just hit the hit the head when I land. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I'm curious. Like, yeah. If someone's ever done a flight like this, please tell us, like, what was the experience like and what did you have to do? And then likewise for the ground crews, especially because, I mean, kudos to the pilot for sure. But whoever did the maintenance on this plane deserves all the high fives, deserves their free Snickers, deserves their free day off, whichever, because. Yeah, it went without incident. Yes. They've made sure everything was working specifically as advertised. It did everything, little to no hiccups, and it landed there safe and sound. Not a not a single issue, not a single hiccup with fuel to spare. So whoever was the ground crew that did it, I mean, if the pilot did it himself, even greater. But whoever worked on that plane before it took off and then after it took off or after it landed, I'm sorry. Kudos to you. And especially the ones in Hawaii who got it all buttoned up, ready to go for an instruction flight. Not not even 24 hours later. Chibis. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Now, being in that salty environment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be a whole other slew of checks and, and other uh, corrosion inspections that are going to become more prevalent and more frequent for that. <clears throat> for that airframe, but oh yes. Uh, yes, but I'd be curious to know, like after 18 hours of flying at six, you know, and we all know how uh, corrosion affects aircraft that are flying at four, 30 to, to 40,000 feet, but one that was flying six to 10, I mean, right down in it in the salty air, uh, I'd be curious to know, you know, What's what's the following? Okay, as soon as it lands, like we gotta drain the oil, we gotta we gotta drain the coolant, we gotta do 
you know, we got we got to do a quick in, we got to do a quick wash down, we got to do all these checks. I, I don't know, you know, like right, yes, that's a big one too. You know, and that's another thing I always wondered too, because for regular planes coming in and out of international airports, there's a whole lot of custom checks that they have to go through, like. Uh, depending on what country you're going through, they have to go through washes or they got to go through like uh, inspections to make sure that nothing foreign got brought on board. You know what I mean? Like uh, no, uh, no organisms, no animals, no diseases, no uh, um, random stuff that's that you normally wouldn't think about. That has to go through customs and well, make sure it's all good and clear. And so that's true. You know that's true. Because you think about your airliner, like before you get to Hawaii. They're having you fill out all sorts of like uh, agricultural Custom. forms and customs forms or whatever. And you're like, man, I just came from California to yep. Hawaii. Like, why well, do I got to fill out this stuff? But like, think about it. Uh, Hawaii is secluded. So they're going, hey, we don't, don't bring your mainland diseases out here. I mean, think about it. It's like, like when the settlers came to America for the first time. Hey, welcome here. Why are you coughing so much? <laughs> you know, like Hawaii yeah. is going, hey, leave your mainland bullshit on the mainland. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's another thing I have questions for, too. Like, did they have to sweep the plane for certain, uh, like certain kind of wash down or hot wash as soon as it landed? You know what I mean? Like, what was what was the maintenance like when that thing hit the deck? You know, I'm I'm curious when it comes to general aviation stuff, because we know like once it's like a business flight or a commercial flight. Or by all means, a military flight. There's all sorts of steps that have to happen once it gets there. Like they're doing receiving inspections. They're doing hot washes. They're doing like a, co- a comb over of the maintenance and all kinds of stuff to insurances. Ensure- yeah. Yeah. Especially insurances, especially with the salt water in the air. Uh, so that turnaround time from the time it landed to the time it's doing flight instruction. I had imagined that was a lot of extensive work that had to get done. And kudos to the ones who did it so that it could go through a flight inspection. Or or maybe we're overthinking this. Like maybe general aviation says, do whatever the fuck you want. Just don't crash my shit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> File your flight plan and don't crash. Good luck. <laughs> right. You know? And yeah. I would assume so to a certain extent, but at the same time, you know, like you're going from one area to another that has a controlled space with custom inspections. So what's that like? I mean... Like even just even crossing the border between California and Mexico, you have to go through customs. So, or think about coming coming back from from your homeland back to Hawaii. I mean, you might as well be have come from a totally foreign country and not a U.S. territory, right? <laughs> you know, like with all the checks and stuff you have to go. They make you leave the actual airport, go through customs, go out to the street, walk all the way around, and come back in the main entrance of the terminal. Like a like a like a fucking half mile walk, just to get back into the airport. But coming from a U.S. territory to a to a state, it it's is. it's pretty wild. It is, it is. But again, like for everyone else out there, like please tell us, like what what's the situation like for general aviation from a ferry flight of that length, and especially to an area where their customs are very strict, uh, to and from. Please. Um, and also, like, what was your prep? Because we definitely got to know. Like, it sound may it may sound gross, but these are things we actually think about. Like, what did you do to make to make sure that you were fully capable of making that long haul flight? Because again, like, the flights that we've taken, shit, like, there's uh, all sorts of contingencies to ensure that we get there as safe as possible or as as uh, efficient as possible. Be it bath uh, lavatories or oxygen mask or even life rafts, even or to the Coast Guard being on call, like just monitoring the radios and having routine radio checks just to ensure like nothing shady has happened. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss. Please tell us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we with any, any more information than we got, which is probably quite a few people. Uh, <laughs> let us know. Let us know how, how it works in the, in the general aviation realm and long hauling small aircraft. Right. And then I think this article here ends with the pilot who just did this flight. He's going to be doing another flight with a similar plane from the from Hawaii clear across to Thailand. I mean, granted, it's not going to be a one shot. That'd be outrageous. I mean, it just went from California to Hawaii, which is normally like a six to seven hour flight by commercial. No, no, air. no. It's like 
from LAX to to Honolulu is four hours in a triple seven. Triple seven. And it took 18. Now, this is some, okay, even from San Francisco, uh, it's like a four hour flight. But he came from Merced further inland, central California. So, so even like I say on the similar aircraft, let's just say it's an, an additional hour. So it's a five hour flight to get there, but it took him 18. So it's seven hours from Hawaii to your homeland on the similar size uh, on the triple seven. So if it took him 18 hours, my God, the math is going to mess me up here. Uh, yeah. If it took him 18 hours in a, in the Cessna to go from Merced to Honolulu, in what normally takes four or five hours, then to go seven hours would be, it's going to be like a 22, 24 hour flight. Extra on top of the one going from California to Hawaii. <laughs> right. So uh, and then, and then, I mean, I know there's some other small islands out there like the chook islands what's the other what's some other ones out there uh there's the there's the palau islands there's the Mel, there's all sorts of islands uh, by melon um throughout micronesia so i mean there's somewhere for him to land right uh uh going eastward towards japan i mean there's like all but sorts then he of- said he was going to thailand so he's going to start venturing south yeah <laughs> at some point like he'll hit the philippines and then go go south and east yeah or and further west at what point does it become west, east west yeah right west, west. <laughs> you're right west <laughs> <laughs> i was saying east <laughs> like west damn it <laughs> but yeah and then especially in somewhere like uh the pacific where it starts off salty like the air is very salty uh the weather can change on a dime there's a lot of uh, convergences and 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 uh, trade winds and shit that happen in those areas. Uh, a lot of storms that happen in those areas that are very prone to storms. So, like, say, like you land somewhere, then you have to wait there for months until it clears up again for you to leave. So, gee, yeah, that, that I mean, it, they said they've done it more than once, and they've done it multiple times. So, I'm assuming that it's routine for them. But for the lesser versed like ourselves, like, what goes into it? Like, tell us. Um, because we're we're used to those long haulers where like these things can make 20 some hours on a stretch if they really had to, you know, and then some of them they're mid-air refueled so they can stay up there indefinitely provided there's no other maintenance issues. Right. So, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> please tell us <laughs> I'm I'm speechless about all this, especially going from uh Hawaii to Thailand in a similar sized aircraft. Now granted it'll probably be maybe three or four stops along the way, but still. <laughs> I would hope so. It's a long time to be cramped up in a in a in a small plane, right? I mean, like we were comparing this like offline about truckers, like how they go from one end of the country to the other, and that's anywhere from eighteen to twenty some plus hours. But you know, like if shit hit the fan, you could just pull over, or you can go to the nearest rest stop, which is probably somewhere of and around the nearest gas station, and or you can just like pull off to like a side of a road or some kind of a clear runway or a clear pathway where like, you know, I'm just going to catch some Z's right here. And then nowadays with the newer technology in these trucks, they've had like these lane assists where it can help them stay in the same lane or like um, what's that one where they all link up together and they can all kind of just form like this long convoy automatically. I forget the technology, but that's, that's one of the safety features for like a lot of these newer trucks. You don't get none of that shit <laughs> in an airplane, especially one of that size. So that's kind of like saying like you're basically driving like a like a a, a Toyota Prius <laughs> from California to Hawaii, pretty much. Yeah, essentially. I, I got I got I got no words else, man. I'm just mind blown about that distance. <laughs> yeah, no, I got nothing else on the subject too. Uh, uh, all I ask is please uh, hit us up if anybody else knows has any additional information and uh and beyond that i hope everyone's staying safe most definitely yeah hey if you guys do, do have answers you got further questions about this please hit us up like either on our social medias or our website on our emails 
and best one yet is to join our discord which is like a dollar a month about like the price of a bottle of water we have all sorts of conversations like we were just having one earlier about uh promotions like from taking a spot or we should not take a spot or what's the pros and cons of taking a, a higher level position or a higher paying position like we should like i like these conversations let's keep this going <laughs> like that though like if you want to have some stuff like that or you want to have full engagement with us that's the by far the best way is to get on our discord which again is probably like a dollar a month at at the littlest there's other tiers into this and then you can also check that out on our patreon too but by all means let us know uh shoot us your lines shoot us your questions and answers and we'll do our best to freaking address them on that note thanks again everyone for listening and we'll catch you all again next time Bye, everybody. We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer, Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformainness.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or Twitter at C-X-M-X Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.